attributes number 11 and 12. Attributes number 11 and 12 of the 16 attributes of God's incredible love. That's what we're talking about, 16. And before we get it up here, here is attribute number 11 and attribute number 12. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at this principle in an Old Testament story and then bring it right through to Jesus, and it's going to make sense. So I'm going to teach a little bit and then preach a little bit when we get into this great story, when you get into Jesus and how he applies it. And I think this is a great week to talk about this, this being Palm Sunday, this being the day that sets us up for Good Friday. Because the truth is, God's love is ever expansive and ever growing. And so it's from that place that we approach this where it says, love does not delight in evil. Love does not delight in evil. I'm going to talk about this first part which is attribute 11, and then get into rejoicing with the truth. Let's talk about this delighting in evil. Now, I mean, when you read this, before we go to that, go backwards, please. Delight in evil. Delight in evil. Okay, now, now delight in evil, you might think evil is obvious. Because evil's like the devil personified. Do not look at the person next to you right now. Keep your eyes straight ahead. Uh, the evil is not in the Bible in the way it's saying here. This is not talking about the devil, okay? The word for the devil in the Greek is diabolus, which means devil. It means evil deceiver one. This is not what the Bible's teaching. And different Bible translations translate this different ways. The New Living Translation translates this by saying, love does not rejoice about injustice. So it changes the word evil to injustice. Another version, the English Standard Version, says, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. A different version, the Berean, which is a literal Bible, says, love does not delight at unrighteousness. So we see three different definitions for evil, not just demonic evil, but we have injustice, we have wrongful character, and we have iniquity. In other words here, the Bible's teaching us that we have to not love weak character in the same way that we should not love evil. Are you tracking with me? Now that puts a different tack on what I want to say tonight. Because if we said, oh my gosh, the devil is here, we'd resist the devil. We get rid of the devil, we resist him, we take authority over him and he leaves. But taking authority over character issues is totally different totally different concept. So we shouldn't delight in weak character or injustice or iniquity. It changes the aspect of what we're talking about here. The actual word for evil that's personified in different places in the Bible is a great Greek word. Do you want to know what it is? It's called kak. It's true. It's called kakia. And that evil word kakia is used in different places. That is not the word for evil that the Apostle Paul chose. And he used this setting to a church that was full of weak characters. The church in Corinthian time was full of weak characters. He's not saying rebuke the devil and he shall flee. He's not saying that here. What he's saying here is that we need to have an understanding of what evil actually is. Because evil in our society, I'll tell you, it can be indifferent and can be apathetic. And that is just as evil as other things. For evil to succeed, a good man only needs to do nothing. 
If a church doesn't step up this week at Palm Sunday and let people know that Jesus Christ is alive, that Jesus Christ is a healer, that Jesus Christ is the resurrection, the way and the truth and life, then guess what? People are not going to know it. So in this verse, do not delight in evil, there's a whole other aspect that I wanted to focus on before I tell you what this word delight means. So that concept, I want to get crystal clear and then we'll look back in the Old Testament about this in a minute. But let's go on now, but, everybody say but. But, but rejoices with the truth. Now let's get into the word delight. The word delight is the Greek word kario. Now, the word kario literally means to rejoice and be glad. And then it goes on to say that it is to rejoice exceedingly. And then finally to say this, the word kario means to be well and thrive. And then it is actually a way that you greet each other. Turn to the person next to you and say, Cario. It's a greeting. It's like, hey, how you doing? You can write it. You can say it. It means to be exceedingly full of cheer. That's what it means. But of course, the Bible here is saying, do not delight. So this is the negative of this. It's not rejoicing, not being exceeding, not thriving, and not welcoming people. That's what it's saying here. So when you see bad character... Do not be corrupted by bad character. Don't welcome it into your life. Don't create a gateway for that negativity to come inside your world. Learn how to deal with negatives and drive them away. If you can't influence bad character and turn it for good, then do not let your character be turned to bad because of a bad character. If you're not strong enough in your faith yet, don't worry about some of those situations. You're not a bad person. Just eliminate the temptation. And if we eliminate temptation, come on, I want to speak to the young people. Eliminate temptation. You know, don't hang out at the bars and the nightclubs if you're not strong enough in your faith yet. Don't go there. Don't go into a place where you could end up compromising your faith. That is so clear. And here's this concept of Cario in action when we learn about this and we get this so clear in our, in our thinking. This word cario, when we look at the next attribute, attribute number 12, when it says but rejoices with the truth, the word cario has a prefix. And the prefix is a little three-letter prefix in the Greek, S-U-G. And so it makes the word from cario to sug cario. And it literally means this, to rejoice and take part in another's joy. Recently, I turned 50. I know I don't look 50. Wow, I thought I'd get a better reaction than that. Maybe I look 60. And I didn't have time to be depressed. People say, oh, 50 is the end of your life. Oh, you might as well die when you're 50 and quit. I'm like, oh my gosh. No, I don't have time to, to go there and be negative and because, because I was too busy celebrating with people who love me. So I don't have time to entertain those thoughts. If we spend more time celebrating with people, you won't entertain the negativity and the depression that comes along with not rejoicing. And this principle is so important that we understand. When Charlotte and I could not have children, we learned how to celebrate when other people got pregnant. And through the celebration, rather than build bad character and mistrust, it changed our attitude. And if you can change your attitude, then you could change the atmosphere around you. Yeah. And I learned this principle. When other people succeeded financially, rather than to be depressed, yeah. I'm like, man, I'm going to seek them out. They got blessed. That means now they can pay for dinner. 
And I realized that, that celebrating with other people is a spiritual principle. Take part in another's joy. And it goes on to say that we should rejoice together, congratulate with each other. And then I want to show it to you like this, this next screen with Kario on one side and Sug Kario on the other. Now, this is an antithesis. This is the opposite. We've got not delighting in evil, Kario, and we've got the opposite of that, rejoicing with the truth, Sug Kario. Those are opposites, not delighting in evil and then rejoicing in the truth. So we got to be so clear about this. And I'm going to ask you the question, who are you celebrating life with? Who are you celebrating with? Who are the people that you just can't wait to get time with to talk about what the Lord is doing in your life? Or are you spending time with people and you're talking about other people that are falling morally or making poor choices in character? You see, there's something about human nature. You've got to be so careful with this. There's something about human nature that loves a good gossip, that loves a good complaint. Something about complaining about others makes us feel better, but not in this church. We're a gossip-free church. We are. We don't have gossip in this church. Amen, somebody. I'm speaking in faith now. Speaking in reality now. We don't have gossip in our marriages. I'm speaking in faith again. Are you with me? Our children love the Lord. Amen. Let's speak in faith right now. What are we doing? We're, we're setting up an atmosphere for God to work in. See, love rejoices with the truth. What if we understand this concept and we apply it? If we can apply this principle and this concept, even the most depressing cities in the world can be turned to cities of joy. Even the most difficult work environments, Monday to Friday, will be turned when you understand the power of not delighting in poor character, but finding the good. You know, it takes work to find the good. So instead of just responding to the obvious lack of character, do diligently seek until you find something that's good. It might only be one thing, but look for that one thing. And then throw a party and celebrate that one thing. Don't just let it, oh, we're going to have a depressing week. No. What would your week be like if you could celebrate other people's successes and victories? You'll have a much stronger week with this principle. You really will. Now let's go back and see how this works in an Old Testament story, which is one of my favorite characters in the Bible, called David. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. 1 Samuel 30, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now, let me just pause here. They, they reached Ziklag, they were out doing battle, and they left their, their towns undefended. And so we read in the second part of this verse 1, that Ziklag had been attacked and burned by the Amalekites. The Amalekites had gone into the situation, and we're reading in verse 4, and David and his men, they came in, and all of their wives and their sons and daughters and their wealth had been carried away by the Amalekites. And they're in this place where they're weeping, and they're so upset because they thought to themselves, if we were there, this would have not happened. And so in this place, suddenly David gets blamed. All the different soldiers that had just risked their life on a battlefield, they they'd suddenly wanted to stone David because David had led them into a battle and left their own homeland undefended. 
And so here's David. He's, he's just literally destitute with grief because his wife, his family was taken as well. And so here he is, and this is what David does. It says here that verse 6, he was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But here it comes. Here comes the principle. But David found strength in the Lord. See, David, he could have just, this is an evil situation, but, but he does something that's so remarkable. He says, I'm going to find strength in the Lord. Verse 7, he says to Abiathar, bring me the ephod. Bring me the ephod. Bring me the ephod. What's the ephod? The ephod is the, it's, it's the breastplate of praise that the high priest would put on when they needed to praise the Lord. And everyone else was bitter. Every, you know, everybody else in the camp, they wanted to quit. They're like, oh my gosh, I've lost so much. But not David. David's like, no, bring me the, bring me the, the ephod. And the ephod comes and, and he begins to seek the Lord. You know, when you're bitter, it only takes one person that starts to worship Jesus before your bitter situation turns around to better. Is there one person in here that refuses bitterness that's going to get into a place that's better? See, this is my testimony. This is not just a scripture. I watched my mother. This is why I'm so passionate. Turn from bitterness to find Jesus because I believe that it was through my prayer. Even though all the different situations were lining up against itself and, and we had lost so much, I'm like, I am not going to go the way of depression. I'm going to love the Lord Jesus. I'm going to worship him. And I got myself on my drums or on my piano and I began to praise and I began to worship. When you make that decision, everything changes. Nothing stays the same. You don't need to be a live church with the latest worship CD to do that. No, you don't. You can be on your own when no one else is there. And you're like, should I go bitter? Should I reflect the attitude and the atmosphere of the evil around me, of the iniquity around me, of the wrong character? Maybe you're the first person in your, Christ, in your family to be a Christian. Do not reflect the negative values of other people. Rise up and say, as for me and my household, we will serve the law. If you're a man in this house, you stand up and you say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And you make a decision. In my home, my children are young still. They're 12 and they're 10 and like, it is not an option for them to stay at home. Because I've made a decision. As for me and my household, you will serve the Lord. And if they start grumbling and if they start complaining, I'm going to show them the way more perfectly. Come on, somebody. And every good parent in the house said, amen. Go ahead, though. I light up the sky. Book in online at cherishconference.com for only 70 pounds.